and you may be seated. And if you want to find your Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians. I wanted just to tell you that uh, one of the things it's a, that we do here at Fellowship Bible Church is we walk through books of the Bible, and uh, we are presently going through the book of Ephesians. Thank you so much. My name is Grant Call. I'm one of the pastors on staff, and it is a delight to have you with us this morning. I've, it's been kind of a, an amazing week, right? And I want to highlight a few things for you here, but I want to bring you back to some experiences that I had when I was in sixth grade, okay? So that's going back here. Now, I had moved from rural Montana, and uh, where I grew up in the mountains, went to a little brick school, and education wasn't super valued there. Um, I was blessed with an amazing mom who taught me how to read at a very young age, and so I at least could learn through reading, all of that changed, though, when I made it my way to sixth grade. We, my family and I moved to Rochester, Minnesota, where the home of the Mayo Clinic, they had a huge IBM plant. Education was an absolute premium, and I was so far behind in all of my classes. And uh, there was a teacher, my sixth grade teacher was a guy by the name of Mr. Hire. And I don't know why he selected me, but... Um, he asked me if I would like to be a part of some sixth grade students from around the city that were going to meet once a week to study biology and environmental science. And of course, I knew nothing about those things, and I would be like, why would you even pick me, okay? I really know anything, all right? But he gave me this invitation, and so we went. Uh, they went to the center, took buses to get there, and uh, I remember the first t- day at class, there's this guy standing up there, and there's all these kids. Of course, I don't know anybody. And uh, this this teacher is all fired up about pond water. And I'm like, what? You know, like, this is weird. You know, like, I've been around plenty of ponds and stuff, and it's really not that exciting. And uh, he's really excited about that and says, we're going to actually like, study this, you know? And like, and he says, we're going to actually take just a drop of pond water and put it on a slide. We're going to look at it with a microscope, okay? So I'm like, wow, this is pretty weird, you know? Like, okay. And so... We do, we put, make that slide, and you put it under the microscope, and when you bring it into focus, like, whoa, I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. All these little microorganisms, and they have like arms and tentacles and like these little amoeba things, and they're all floating all around there, and it seems like they're at war with each other, and like all in one drop of water. It was just absolutely astounding. Now, I want you to know, they had always been there. I just had never seen them. I didn't even know that they existed. And, you know, it's really interesting. We had just this week, we had kind of an experience like that. If you've been watching some of these pictures or taking a look at it from the James Webb Telescope, this, just this week, they actually like started showing you these pictures. You guys recognize that from the uh, Tarantula Nebula, okay? We had never before seen all these thousands of young stars and just this huge nebula. They've always been there, but now we have a telescope. And it's not just any old telescope. This isn't something that you picked up at Walmart and like looking out in front of the backyard. This is a $10 billion telescope. And it has all this infrared technology and by that, we're able to take a look at some of these stars that have always, they've been there for a long time. We just have never seen them. And I tell you this because it's rather fascinating, whether it be at a micro level or at a macro level, seeing things that are massive in scope and size and very distant. 
To see things for the very first time brings a sense of thrill and awe, which leads me to put this question to you. Well, how is it that we could actually see the greatness of God? I mean, Christians, I mean, we just got done doing singing songs about the greatness and the goodness of God, right? But like, how do you actually see that, right? I mean, maybe it's just nice that we sing some nice songs and we do a good job with that and we're excited about that, but can you actually see the greatness of God? That's why the end of this prayer at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, is such a powerful text. Because even though you may have just kind of glossed over it, and, and it's like it's always been there, but you've never really studied it, when you do, when you put a little microscope to it, a magnifying glass, all of a sudden we can see the greatness of God. And the greatness of God is, first of all, seen by his power revealed in his people. So let me just read it, and we're going to talk about this. He says, verse 20, he ends his prayer by saying, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. If you really want to see the greatness of God, and who wouldn't, right? I mean, certainly Christians, we want to see God's continual greatness, but I want you to know, a watching world would be very curious as to, you show me the greatness of God, and let me tell you the first place that we see from this text that highlights that is his power revealed in his people. And when you're talking about the greatness of God, notice how he says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think. Now, he's saying that God is really incomprehensible. In fact, he can work in ways far beyond anything that you might imagine. As smart as you all are, right? And I'm, ta- I'm, not, I'm just standing, I got the vantage point of mass intellect just everywhere I look, right here, you know? And you are very intelligent. But I can tell you, you simply cannot wrap your mind around the greatness of God. And that's what he's saying. Now, to him who's able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think. So, like, really? So, like, what, what could God do? Just how powerful is he? Well, all you have to do is open the Bible, page 1, Genesis 1, and we have God speaking all that is seen and unseen. The universe, even humanity made in his likeness, his image, And he does so by just speaking the word, and he creates it by speaking it into existence. There's just no way we could fully comprehend the immensity of God. But it doesn't stop there. The Bible is the recording of the greatness of God on display. And you see, I mean, massive amounts of amazing work, miracles, blind that are able to see. He is able to keep you from stumbling. He is able to bring you securely into his kingdom. All of this are just demonstrations of his greatness and his power. And so Paul is writing this, and this grand conclusion of this prayer, he says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think according to the power that works within us. What power is this? It's the very same power that he's been writing about in Ephesians 1 through 3. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit 
comes and takes up residency in the lives of those who believe in Christ at the moment they believe. So Paul is writing this this letter of Ephesians from where? From prison. Do you remember that? So wait a second here. What? He's writing that God is able to do far more abundantly than not all you could ask or think according to his power that works within you? Well, then why doesn't God just, like, release Paul from prison? How is it that Paul can say God is mighty and great and his power is working within us when he's languishing away in a Roman prison? I'll tell you why. Because Paul has experienced and is currently experiencing the power of God. You remember Paul, formerly known as Saul, He grew up in a very religious Jewish home. They were very devout. They were part of the Pharisees, the most conservative, devout, legalistic uh, branch of Judaism. They not only tried to follow the law given in the scriptures, they had all these man-made traditions they tried to follow. And he he saw himself as like perfectly living this out. And yet, when Jesus Christ rose from the grave and people were believing him and confessing him to be the Messiah... He took it upon himself to persecute these Christians. In fact, you see him on different occasions doing just that, breaking up families, dragging them away. Even at the time of the very first martyr, the first person to ever die for Jesus Christ, faith in him, a guy by the name of Stephen, a guy by the name of Paul, the very one who is writing this letter, he was collecting coats on that day, standing by, observing, probably smiling, only to discover later on that he was persecuting Jesus himself. Because to persecute the people of God, Christ's people, is to persecute him. And God, through an amazing event, helped Paul to see not only his own sinfulness and how he had missed the mark, how he was really opposing and fighting and rebelling against the eternal Son of God, he revealed the loveliness of Jesus to him. And we're talking a radical transformation. And Paul is writing this, even though he's in prison, God's power is still mightily at work in him. That's how God works. He doesn't necessarily change our circumstances. He works in and through his people. Jesus said this. This is what you should expect. John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy But I came that they might have a life and have it abundantly. The enemy of our souls, Satan himself, what does he do? Steal, kill, destroy. I mean, there's wreckage everywhere. But if you want life, where is it found? In Jesus Christ, I came that they might have life. It is the power of his presence. And that's what Paul is writing about. You see... God can change circumstances, and sometimes he does. But if you really want to see the greatness of God, look at his power in the lives that are going through great difficulty. You see, it's God's power that allows us to overcome the big sins and even the little ones in our life, to shape us into the image of Christ, to give us the ability to serve, to help us face our fears, overcome and endure our suffering, and to conquer sin. Where does this all come from? I want you to know it comes from the power of God. And so if you really want to see the greatness of God, just look 
at how he is working through his imperfect people that are united with a perfect Savior. Remember what Jesus said, John 15, verse 4? He said this, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so unless you, neither can you unless you abide in me. And then he said this, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. But that's, that's the beauty of it. We're united with Christ. We draw our strength from him. His power is displayed in his people. And if you're like, well, what kind of fruit are we talking about here? Well, like, do you remember just even like the fruit of the Holy Spirit? This is what God is seeking to do in each one of us who are actual Christians that really know Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit that comes from relationship with Christ, his power and display, why it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When you see this kind of fruit coming from a human life, I want you to know the greatness of God is on display. You see, the power of God inspires the praises of his people. Pastor Chuck Swindoll writes of an experience where he went to visit uh, one of his friends, uh, a missionary couple, that they were just going through such great difficulty. Um, They were very discouraged, and he was able on his travels to go and actually visit them. And when he finally got to their home, um, he found that the wife was there, and she said, uh, yeah, it's, it's bad. Uh, he's, he's down at his office. You'll find him there. But it's, it's been really rough. So he goes down to the office. They drive down there, and, and as he's approaching that office, he can look in the window, and he was fully expecting to find his friend ready to just give up and call it quits. You need to know something, that um, our missionaries, pastors, if you think that, well, boy, if you're serving God in that kind of capacity, like, he's going to give you an exemption from problems. You're not really going to face a lot of difficulty, right? Because you're doing the Lord's work that way, right? We, we hear people talk about that. I, let me dispel that myth. Uh-uh. In fact, it says, if you're a missionary or a pastor, it's almost as if you're a magnet for problems. You're aware of all the hardships and these difficulties going through all these dear people that you love. And you yourself face such difficulties, challenges. It's as if you've got like this X on your back. So he shows up and he thinks his, his missionary friend is about ready to call her quits. But what he looks in the window, he said, I, I received one of the greatest lessons on how to persevere in the Christian life by watching my friend. Instead of him packing boxes, he was actually had his Bible open to the Psalms, and he was reading and even singing some of them. Friends, remember this. When the praises of God are on our lips, the power of God revives our lives. When the praises of God are on our lips, power of God revives our lives. Try it. I mean, just looking around, like, 
I know some of you are going through significant hardship. Some of you are going through great grief. Some are going through trials, and and you actually don't even know how this is going to even work out. Remember this. When the praises of God are on our lips, the power of God revives our lives. And I know this from firsthand experience. There's times they're like, oh man, this is rough. And I don't feel like praising God. In fact, I'm pretty fed up with some different stuff. God reorients us back to his presence. Start speaking of his praises, his power, his goodness, and his greatness. But since we're having a real conversation about the greatness of God, looking at this text, what happens when it's not working out the way you think it should, right? I want you to know, I've got a pretty good idea how I think my life should go and how things should work out. And guess what? It doesn't always work that way. In fact, I'm shocked, disappointed, sometimes deeply discouraged that things aren't always going the way I think they should. What, what do we do when it's not happening like we think it should? Well, let me give you some possibilities as to what God is doing. One is, God is glorified by our waiting. <laughs> it's even hard to say that. But if you've ever read the Old Testament, you know that God is not in a hurry, right? He's, he's seeming like got patience, and he can wait a long time. God is not in a hurry. And for whatever reason, you might be in a situation where you are just needing to wait on God and hold on by faith and praise him, either in the midst of the storm or in a long period of drought. But God is not in a hurry. There may be things that need to take place that haven't, that God is at work. Sometimes you get the vantage point like, oh, man, I really wanted this to happen four years ago, but okay, now I see that. Okay, that had to happen. This person had to enter into that family's life. I, I see it. Let me give you another reason about what God might be doing when you don't think it's working out the way you think it should. Sometimes God is glorified by our learning. You see, God is in the business of teaching and shaping us And God will address heart issues in your life. So if you have become rather mechanical, rather perfunctory in how you just kind of go through the Christian life, you know, or perhaps even worse, your heart has grown cool toward God. You're following at a distance. Or man, like like you're way out there. I want you to know God loves you so much that he's going to address those issues. And you're like, oh man, if you only knew some of the stuff that I've gotten myself into. I'll tell you, you keep drinking the poison of sin, it'll make you really sick. And you will have the effect that God seems distant and I don't see him and I'm mad at God. Well, take a look at your diet. There may be a reason why you're so upset, because you've ingested poison. And so God will address these things. Here's some questions that you might ask yourself, like, are you really teachable? Oh, yeah, we so of course I'm teachable and I'll always want to grow. Really? When some people are trying to help you and God actually sends them and it's kind of clear what your next steps are, are you teachable? 
Another one, are you taking responsibility for your actions? You know, uh, if you're a person that like always plays the victim card, oh, I would really do this or life would be better. You could really count on me if these people hadn't done that and this and, and it's always someone else, right? Somebody did these things, different circumstances, and you're really mad about it and eats up a lot of your emotional and intellectual energy. Are you really um, taking responsibility for your actions? God's patient. He'll bring you to an end of yourself so that you will learn from him and his gentle ways. Or just another question you could ask is, is what I'm doing, is my life really about God's kingdom and his glory or mine, right? Because there's always that tension. Is what you're doing, how you're living, is it really about you or is it really about God and his kingdom? I want you to know sometimes it doesn't work out the way we think it should because God is glorified in our learning. But let me give you another. And this is something that Paul learned in some very powerful, and I'd have to say painful ways. God is glorified by our growing in grace. In fact, he writes of these experiences in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and I, I just want to give you just a little excerpt here, but he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, he writes this, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, okay, and he'd actually had these grand revelations even seeing what heaven is really like. It says, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. So he refers to this messenger, messenger of Satan. We usually focus on the thorn of the flesh, right? And we think like, well, that thorn, you know, uh, illness, he had bad eyes, something like that. And, and yeah, he had poor health, and yes, he had a vision problem. But when he talks about the messenger of Satan, that Greek word is angelos in the New Testament. It appears 176 times. It always refers to a human or an angelic messenger. And he's putting it out there real clear. This thorn in the flesh, I think it's pretty clear. It's likely some people that were tearing his life apart. Libel, slander, the false teachers that just infiltrate churches. And what do they do? Wreckage, split them, create problems, disunity, division. And I want you to know that if you're a true shepherd, that sort of behavior eats you up. And you know, you're oftentimes on the receiving end of their vile words and their evil behavior. And Paul says, you know, I have this thorn in the flesh. In fact, he says, verse 8, concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. So three different times. It's like one of those times, you know, you just like get down on your knees. God, please take this out of my life. I cannot handle it anymore. And then look at this. It's the secret. Verse 9, and he, speaking of God, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. My grace, the riches of relationship with me, unmerited favor, my grace is sufficient for you. That's what God is doing. Yeah, he could take that all away. 
But no, you're in the midst of it, and he wants you and I to thrive. How? By the power of his presence, his grace. And only a Christian could write what he says here. Verse 9, most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When you and I are weak, then we are strong. Why? Because of the power of his presence. And he's writing here, he says, now to him who's able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think, according to the power that works within us. Do you have some sort of besetting sin? Do you have some sort of major issue in your life that you do not think there's ever going to be victory over? Are you have... Do you have insecurity and bitterness or fears that just seem to be paralyzing you? Have you tapped in to the power of God? Why, it's right here. And when we do, when we're trusting in him, you know what's happening? Not only do we experience the power of his presence, but we send a clear message to a watching world and to our fellow believers of the greatness of God. You see, God is able to give all that I need to accomplish all that he's asked. Do you know that? You might want to consider that. God is able to give all that I need to accomplish all that he's asked. I mean, you're like, okay, so like, what does God ask me to do? Well, think in terms of your roles and your responsibilities. Your roles and your responsibilities. So for instance... Uh, God has called us to love our neighbor as ourself. And I want you to know, I've had lots of neighbors over my, the years, and I, most of them have been absolutely delight and wonderful and lovely. But I've had a few. And you've got like, you to be kidding me. Okay, I'm not going to give a last name, and you wouldn't know this woman. Her name was Rosemary, and I've got to chill. Just even say her name. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, we had a common wall in our triplex. And there, I think she had, some, she had some mental health issues on top of her physical health issues, and she made my life miserable. But I, I tried the power of God, and I was begging God to help me just be gracious to this woman because she was really rough to live around. God is able to give all that we need to accomplish all that he's asked. Um, you know, he tells us like in Romans twelve seventeen, not to return evil for evil. Anybody ever done some evil on you? Right? Oh, thank you. Okay, we got one honest woman in our church, right? Okay. You know, you could really get back to them. You could make their life real miserable, right? Not to return evil for evil. How is that even possible? The power of God, his presence. Um, We're to be devoted to one another in brotherly love, right? Philadelphia, right? And, you know, that's really easy with so many just lovely, gracious people, right? They like you, you like them. This is great. But what about the hard-to-love, the extra grace-required people in your life? Well, I just avoid them, right? I just walk around them. I just, I never make eye contact, never reach out. Uh, Let me challenge you. Why don't you live in the power of God and love one another and brotherly love? It's possible. Do you know what Jesus, by the way, left us to do here? Does anybody have any clue? We have covered this 
I'm pretty sure, like about a thousand times. Does anybody know why God has left us on this earth besides taking in some oxygen? Anybody know? Oh, that's right. I've heard it. We are to go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, right? Whoa. And how is that going to be possible? Only when we're trusting in the power of God and the loveliness of his presence. If you're a single, you need to know that you are never alone. God is always with you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. His power and his presence, very real. If you are a husband, do you know, and, and get ready, it's, it's coming, I'm giving you a forewarning, but in chapter 5, we're going to find out that we are supposed to love our wives like Christ loved the church. Uh, what? Sacrificially, lay down your life. Wow. But that can be kind of a challenge, right? I mean, that can be a challenge. What if your wife has a few shortcomings, right? We're not talking about you, but just maybe just a few. I want you to know that's how we're called to love, and you can only do it in his strength. Or wives, to, to love your husbands and to align yourself with his leadership. Well, what if, you know, some of you wives could say, well, let me tell you about my husband and all the issues he has. Are you serious? What? Yeah, it's possible in the power of his presence. If you're a parent, do you know that you've got a critical role in the lives of your children to love them, care for them, communicate with them, train them, invest in them, help them learn, to correct them when they do wrong, to help them learn about how to actually have a healthy reverence for God by starting like so they can learn how to honor their parents. I want you to know parenting is really difficult. I got four kids. I've, I've gone through a lot. Is it possible to parent well? I want you to know it is in the power of his presence. I want you to know it's so tough that some folks, like, I just kind of tune out. I'm going to get really involved in my job. I'm going to really focus on entertainment in this season of my life, and eventually my kids will just somehow go away, right? And then I'm going to be fine. I want you to know God wants to demonstrate his power through you as a parent. And if you're a kid, did you know that you are to honor God by honoring your parents? It's possible. You're like, well, let me tell you about my parents. Like, okay. Now that I'm a parent, I understand some of these things a little bit better, but I want you to know that's what God has called us to do. And it's possible. You know, we're called to forgive people, the people that have really even hurt us deeply. Is that possible? It is. And you know how it's possible? Because of the power of God working within us. You know, all of ministry... If you're really going to be involved in helping people, serving, whether with our children, teaching, leading, uh, working on our grounds crew, safety, security, wherever it is, I want you to know the only way to do it is through the power of his presence. And God is able to accomplish all that he has asked us by us just trusting in him and what he gives. You know, it's kind of like a fire hydrant, You ever seen one of those little fire hydrants when they've actually, like, taken off the cap and the water just goes shooting out, right? Pretty cool, right? But I want you to know that the water isn't just in that little fire hydrant. The source of the strength of where all that water is coming from is a reservoir, right? And it's shooting out. The hydrant, not so big, not really even that impressive. The water shooting out, 
Really impressive. And a lot of it. A lot of power. That's the Christian life. We're just tapped into the source. The power of God. And that's what Paul is saying. Look at this. Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think, according to that power that works within us. Friends, the greatness of God is seen, first of all, in his power revealed in his people. But second, his power displayed in his church. Take a look at that next verse. He says, to him be the glory in the church. For three chapters in the book of Ephesians, we have been looking at the church. The word for church, Greek word, ekklesia. It means to be those who are called out from. You see, the church is the body of actual believers in Christ who God has brought from death, spiritual death, to life. He is the one who has actually not only helped them see the significance of their sin, but the loveliness of a Savior who died in our place and rose again. And it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, male or female, Jew or Gentile. It doesn't matter uh, your economic strata, where you might land, what you have done. God, by his grace, has brought us into his family. We once were dead spiritually. We were living in the domain of darkness. We were governed by our flesh, right? I mean, that's life for me apart from Jesus. It's all about me and what I want to do. And friends, that'll take you in some pretty dark places. But then God brings redemption. Like it says, remember in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is the what? Gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. It's not about anything you've done. It's about all that God has done through Jesus Christ. And furthermore, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in in them. We are his masterpiece. You want to say, hey, you show me the greatness of God? And God says, let me show you my church. There is nothing like it in the world. People from every tribe, tongue, and nation, all different backgrounds, and they're all united by Jesus Christ, who is the cornerstone, the foundation of his word given to us by the apostles and the prophets. We are infused with his spirit. And if the world would like to see the greatness of God, God says, all you need to do is look at my church. Now, frankly, churches are imperfect. Fellowship There's some room for growth in some different areas, right? And we're actively taking those steps of growth as we're abiding in Christ and we're trusting in him. But I want you to know, God's answer to the question, how do you see his greatness, is just look at the church and all that God is doing in the church and through the church. You see, the greatness of God fuels the devotion of his people. You want to know, like, why is it That actual believers come together, worship God, serve, give graciously, generously, cheerfully, sacrificially of their time, of their resources. Why is it that they engage in the community? Why do they try to do their work well with excellence? Why are they concerned about the glory of God? Why are they concerned about people at every stage of development, whether in the womb or at any point in a human life? Why are they so concerned? I want you to know because they're in the body of Christ And God says, you want to see my greatness? You look at my church. And that's why he's highlighting this. To him be the glory, the praise, the honor in the church and 
Here's the third way we see the greatness of God in his power embodied in his son. Do you see this? To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations. If you really want to see the greatness of God, look closely and carefully at Jesus Christ. And I'm speaking from firsthand experience because when I was in college and I was challenged to actually read the Gospel of John and to see firsthand who Jesus really is, oh yeah, I had a religious aspect to my life. I pretty much lost a lot of that when I got to college there because I was like, I'm not even sure God exists. But then I keep meeting these real Christians and this one guy, Doug Gardner, challenged me to read the Gospel of John. And all of a sudden you see the immense wisdom of Jesus Miracles, the blind being able to see, those who were injured now walking, all these different miracles, like three different times Jesus raises someone from the dead. And of course, the capstone demonstration of the power of God is what? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Crucified, died, buried, three days later, Easter Sunday, He rises from the grave, and that authenticates to the world that indeed he's God because his deity is put on full display. But there's something else that takes place with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that is that relationship with Christ, with God himself, is provided by virtue of the resurrection. You see, in Jesus Christ, everything changes when your faith is in him. Before your identity was wrapped up in what you could accomplish and who liked you and your accolades and what you're driving, what kind of clothes you're wearing, the people that you know and the things that you do, you might be all wrapped up in your financial portfolio. I want you to know when you come to know Jesus Christ, your identity is in him. And no matter what happens in some of these other areas, guess what? You got stability. You got gravitas. Why? Because you have God You have a relationship with Christ. In Christ, you have clarity on how to live. He has given us his word. God, who has not only designed life and created life, has told us how it's meant to be lived. You don't have to guess. He's revealed it in the scriptures. We can walk in his strength, in his ways, and experience the fullness of joy. The world isn't where you find happiness or joy. I want you to know that's all found in a relationship with God. And clarity on how to live, what morality is, our ethics. Guess what? These are all given to us by God. God gives us the reality of his presence, security. And you know what else he gives? He gives us eternity. You see, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can know this with absolute certainty. To be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. If your faith is in Jesus Christ... We're all going to pass away at some point. To be absent from the body is to be at home with the Lord. And that's all true because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, our lives and our eternity are dependent upon what we will do with Jesus Christ. And so I'd like to ask you, what is your response to him? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 says this, For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So 
Jesus, honestly, who is he to you? Do you feel like, yeah, that's a bunch of nonsense? That's just kind of a crutch for uh, a kind of a helpless humanity? And if you kind of got the mindset, you're like, hey, listen, that's fine. You want the Jesus deal bit? That's all good. That's fine. If that helps you, but for me, I don't need him. I'm not even sure he exists. I don't care. It doesn't really matter. I got my own way, and I'm going to do life on my own terms. Friends, if Jesus Christ is foolishness to you, this is reality. You are perishing You're lost, and you are blind to your own condition, and you're just kind of floating along. Yeah, every once in a while, you're like, man, something's really missing, and something's really wrong. But you try to kind of inebriate yourself from that, distract yourself from it. I want you to know, if Jesus is foolishness to you, you're perishing. But to us who believe, think of it. If you will truly trust in him, you know what you'll experience? He is the power of God. You see, our lives and our eternity are dependent and determined by what we will do with him. And I tell you from firsthand experience, I know what it's like to see Jesus as foolishness and to have God convict me not only of my sin, but of the greatness of Jesus and to see him as the absolute power in my life. And notice how he closes this prayer. Perhaps we missed it, but let's put it under the magnifying glass one more time. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, to all generations, forever and ever, amen. Do you see? He's speaking to even us today. God's plan is that his faithfulness and great, greatness is communicated and celebrated and worshipped. The awesomeness of God. And so we, I want you to know that when we're in his presence, we will be overwhelmed, not only over his present grace, but in his past works of faithfulness. And God intends for his people to be communicating these things, passing them on, talking with others, telling them about it, especially a younger generation. They need to hear of how God has worked in the past because they too are struggling with like, I have no idea how this is going to work. If you've been walking with Jesus for some time, but you've gone radio silent, this prayer is for you. We are to communicate to all generations forever and ever for the resounding goodness and glory of God is going to be sung, celebrated, and praised throughout all eternity. It's just one more way that the world sees the greatness of God. You see, it's the greatness of God that actually does this. It fuels the devotion of his people. And that's what this prayer is all about. For us not only to see his greatness, but to celebrate it and grow in devotion to him. This has been a pretty cool weekend for me. Uh, haven't got a lot of sleep, but it's been a lot of fun. Uh, I've had the privilege of having like all four of my kids at one time in the, our same home, okay? And that doesn't happen very often because they're all busy and doing different things and married and got the grandkids, but the grandkids were here. It's been awesome. The house is a little bit, it's been chaotic, but a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, you can probably relate to this, but, like, when you have those kind of times where you kind of see your kids growing up, in our house we have, like, pictures of a family. And I'm, some of them, like, they're really young, and they'd be really embarrassed if I actually showed you some of those pictures. So I won't, but I, I see those pictures, and then I kind of see them, like, wow, they're, like, growing up there. And you have all these, like, flashbacks of memories, all right? You know what I'm talking about? You know, you're thinking about these things, and, 
And one of the things that we like, love to do as a family uh, with a, to go through the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis. It got started for us like we would actually listen to them when we were driving or on like road trips. Uh, Focus on the Family has these like radio dramas, and they're excellent. You can just like listen to them. They're really powerful. And so we would like listen to them, and, and then eventually we'd like read them. And then, of course, then the movies came out, right? So we really got a lot of the Chronicles of Narnia. And, you know, it's interesting. There are four kids. Uh, there's Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy. And so, you know, we have four kids, two boys, two girls. So, you know, like those, those kind of things like just kind of keep playing out in your head, right? Well, one of the, the books was about Prince Caspian, okay? And in Prince Caspian, you've got the kids, the four kids. They find themselves having been out of Narnia. That's this world that C.S. Lewis kind of created. They've been out of Narnia for a long period of time, but now they're back. But the four kids have yet to encounter Aslan. He's this great lion who is who represents Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, okay? He's the Lord. He's the chief one, right? And the kids really would like to see Aslan again, but he doesn't seem to be anywhere to be found, especially Lucy, the youngest. And so one night when they're sleeping in the forest, all of a sudden there's this sound and this calling and the wind blowing and Lucy just hears this compelling call to come, and so she does. The other, her, her brothers and her sister are still sleeping, but she wakes up, and so she's wandering through the forest. She's responding to this call, and she comes to this great area. It's like this lawn, and in the center of it is this giant lion. It's Aslan, and it looks as if he's like just a stone, except for his tail is, is wagging back and forth. She's so excited to see Aslan. So she runs up. She buries her face in his mane. Aslan, 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 you know. And she's like, at last. And she's sobbing and crying. And Aslan responds with great joy and love. And I think it takes his tongue and licks her nose, her face. And and he breathes upon her, right? And she's just overjoyed. And he says, welcome, child. But like in the movie, I don't know how they can get your voice that welcome child. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, ah, welcome child. Okay? And she's like, Aslan, Aslan. And then uh, Aslan, she, she says, you're bigger. And Aslan says, um, no, that is because you are older, little one. And she's like, what? Not because you are? And then he makes this statement. He says this, I am not, but every year you grow, I become bigger. Friends, that is the Christian. The growing Christian is continually growing to understand, abide in, and exalt in the greatness of God. And if you find yourself like, wow, I'm seeing more and more of God in his word, and I'm experiencing his power in my life, and I'm seeing growth and grace, God is greater. I want to tell you something. God hasn't changed, but you, you're maturing. And so friends, what we're going to do is I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer, and then we're going to celebrate communion together. So if you want to just bow your heads and let's just go before him.